evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special edition of Ignite Radio Live over the... Five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. And Stephanie's voice, as you may deduce, is not coming hot over the uh, the control room here. She is actually attending to a work of life tonight. Um, she is uh, being God's presence in a circumstance in Erie, PA. Why don't you tell us where you're at and why you're at, Steph? <laughs> If I told you really where I was at, it'd sound a little odd. I'm in a little uh, little Joey's bedroom, the only quiet spot in the house right now. But I am in my hometown of Erie, PA. Um, our very dear sister-in-law has uh, experienced some health issues. She had a seizure this past weekend and is um, slowly recovering, recovering from the effects of that. So um, myself and a couple of our kids are trying to be little missionaries of mercy and to be present. And, and help in all the ways that we can, both physically and spiritually, with her and their beautiful family. Very, uh, very awesome. So, folks, we know that this past Sunday marked what was it? Forty, probably forty-four years since Roe v. Wade, if my math is correct. And uh, since then, as we know, um, fifty-seven million lives have been taken in the United States of America alone. Of course, the decision, Supreme Court decision. Roe v. Wade that legalized uh, abortion through nine months of pregnancy for any reason whatsoever. And we have hearts lifted up to God uh, for life at all stages, from conception through natural death. But um, we are the survivors. We're the survivor generation. If you were born anytime around then and forward, by God's grace, we made it by, um, by the love of our parents and the sacrifice of our parents. Sometimes it's ugly, we know, any of us here tonight. Whatever challenges we face, life is not always easy. We want to keep it real. But God has you here tonight for a reason, brothers and sisters. We're here to celebrate the gift of life. We're certainly here to keep the prayer going. We have hope in this new election era. Um, Amen. And uh, and certainly already some great things are already happening in that regard. Abortion funding discontinued overseas, which is, uh, I think, a fabulous thing. And uh, let me just say, love has to rise. Institutions can't love. Governments can't love. Only people can love. And so we are praying that we who are God's people, that we who are his icon, marriage, family, would be God's love, instruments of love to the world. So often we focus on the victim in the womb and certainly um, tragedy of abortion. What's often overlooked are the mothers who suffer uh, in many ways. Uh, My mom, of course, you've heard her on the radio uh, on this program a number of times before, founded Bethesda Post-Abortion Healing. So we Schleeders we're blessed to be around this in the earliest days, not simply praying for an end to abortion, but really being conscious of um, the challenge to mothers who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder and the implications for that rippling throughout every part of their lives. Um, and we need to respond in love. But I'll say the third person, victim of this, that is very forgotten, is um, the father. Uh, Fathers, indeed, they are fathers. They contributed with a woman by God's design to cooperate, literally to cooperate with God to bring life into this world. And so tonight, we're very blessed to have two 
powerful testimonials. Two um, uh, people who are with us are going to share from the perspective of the father first, and then in the second half of the show, we're going to have uh, Clarissa Lipinski with us. So I'm very blessed tonight to have a brother in Christ who hails back to our home city of Erie, Pennsylvania. And I have to just set it up a little bit before we welcome my brother Mark here. Um, so folks, if you lived in Erie, PA for any amount of time prior to 10 years ago, um, you would have been cruising across the dials. And you would have heard this awesome voice of this very young man, very witty, very on fire in his faith. Mark Bradley Morrow was the voice... Excuse me, frog in my throat. He was the voice of WCTL, which is essentially the K-Love of Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, and we delighted in hearing him and his cohorts and uh, just blessed to know him. He, he really kind of had a, a real following as a Christian man. And um, so... It was really kind of a couple years later through various faith circumstances, pro-life circumstances, we get to know each other. And he called me one night and he said, hey, let's get together, brother. Uh, I want to share with you some things that have happened in my life. And you're going to hear about those in a moment. Before we back it up, Mark, just tell us about your life right now, where you're at, and then we'll we'll start at the very beginning because it's a very good place to start. Well, first off, Greg and Stephanie, thanks so much for having me on your show. It's been a few years since we've actually seen one another, but so it's great to join Ohio listeners. But uh, my name is Mark Bradley Morrow. My wife, Jeannie, and I, we reside right outside of Erie in a small community called McCain. And we've both been uh, professional counselors for 30-plus years. And it was about three and a half years ago that God led us to open up our very own private practice, Brighter Tomorrow's Counseling. And so, Great play on your last name, uh, like Tomorrow's, that. Mark Bradley I Morrow. Like Get that. it? Get it? Yep. And uh, we are very so good. Our own private practice, as well as our three children. Our oldest daughter, Ricky, she's almost 30. She followed in our footsteps as far as a career. We never suggested that she do that, but I think she saw how much we enjoyed what we did and how, much, how many people we've helped. So she has her master's degree in counseling, and last year passed her licensure exam. She's counseling in Ohio, not far from Wheeling, West Virginia. And then I have a daughter, Faith, who will be turning mm. 15 in a couple of weeks and my son Ross is 12 and he's going to be one heck of a baseball player and football player once he hits high school. Awesome, awesome. Awesome. So with that setting, we're just going to open in prayer and just get right into it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Lord, tonight you see into our hearts and our minds, you see our struggles and our challenges. You see the clouds and the debris And you love us, Lord, and and summoned us here to this moment, wherever we're at, whatever's going on. And in your holy name, Lord, we do renounce whatever shadows or clouds, whatever debris may be in the way, whatever work of the enemy, whatever's happened in our past, whatever things we've done, whatever's been done to us, we just renounce it in the name of Jesus Christ that you can speak your words of life to us. You can speak your words of transformation, that you can reveal yourself to us tonight, Lord God, as one who is uh, a life giver, a life bringer, a life restorer. So open our hearts and minds, God, certainly to our own lives, but also, and perhaps just as much, Lord, make us aware of our call to be your hands, your feet, and instruments, Lord God, of your love and your life to this world. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mark, you're a fabulous speaker. you got a new book that's coming out real soon. I'm just going to turn it over to you, and you know, if we need to jump in, we'll jump in. But I want you to just share the story with us with this short time that we have. 
Well, I just started off by telling all of your listeners how blessed I am to have my own children. Uh, like I said, Ricky, Faith, and Ross, they mean the world to me, and God created them in their mother's womb, and I'm so blessed. But I, that's where I am right now. But back in the 1980s, I, I never really wanted to have children. And I'm going to back up just a little bit and tell your listening audience how my 80s began. In 1980, at the beginning of 1980, I was 19 years old and I encountered Jesus Christ for the first time. I, I had gone to church before, went on a regular basis, didn't really get it, but I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was sold out to Him in 1980, and about 10 weeks later, my father died of a cerebral aneurysm, just like that. So I gained my heavenly father, and 10 weeks later, I, I lost my earthly father. Then in 1981, my favorite uncle committed suicide, and in 1982, five months later, my other favorite uncle committed suicide. So 80, 81, and 82, I became wow. a Christian, but I lost the three most important men in my life. Pretty tumultuous. I then began going to college, working on my first degree in speech communications, and I was so sold out to Jesus. I Tuesday night discipleship class and Thursday night celebration, and I started Christian programming on the campus radio station, and I was just so into the Word and fellowshipping with other believers. So my, my 20s were really good. My mid-20s um, were very good. Where my prodigal son story starts is after I graduated from college, and I just slowly but surely slipped away from the Lord. Well, let me put it this way. I was attending church regularly. I was a worship leader. I would preach uh, on occasion whenever the pastor would get sick or he might go on vacation. I was running the youth group, but then I was a total hypocrite because I was leading a double life. I ended up sleeping with a, a girlfriend of mine, and I got her pregnant. And we started having the discussions, I mean, what, what are we going to do here? What, what are we going to do? And I knew deep in my heart. I knew deep in my heart, come on, abortion, it's, it's not even an option. And uh, I talked about, well, look, my suggestion is I have an aunt who was never able to have children. I know for a fact that she'd probably love to adopt our baby. And I'm not going to blame it on the mother, but we both ended up deciding to, to make the, the worst choice anybody can ever make. And I'll never forget being in an abortion clinic in the waiting room it was December 31st, 1987, so roughly 29 years ago, and my first child's life was terminated wow. in an abortion clinic. Mm. And here I was running the youth group in my church and preaching in church and, and leading worship and, and leading a double life. And years later, I received a letter in the mail from the mother, and she told me that she believed that we conceived a girl, and she named our little daughter Gracie Lee. She said Gracie was after God's grace, and Lee was my father's middle name. And if my daughter, Gracie wow. Lee, was alive today, she'd be 20 years old. Hmm. So one would hope that I would have learned my lesson, but unfortunately I didn't. And I ended up sleeping with another woman, young woman, and uh, broke up with her a few months later. And I received a phone call from her, and she said, Mark, we need to talk. And I said, well, okay. And she came over and sat on my couch, and she said, Mark, um, you know, when we were sexually active, we always used protection except for that one time. And she said, Mark, you got me pregnant. 
and I was I was stunned. I was shocked. And then she said, and I knew how much you never really wanted to be a family man or have children and how much you love your black Corvette Stingray. So I went and had an abortion. Wow. Can I pause you a oh. second, Mark? And it just yes. economically, but obviously, tell us what goes on under the hood in the soul of a man who knows Jesus Christ, who is invested in bringing the message of God's life and love to others with this, if you will, double life, other, other standard. How was that? Were you able to box it up as a guy is able to do kind of thing, at least on the surface? Was it percolating under the surface? How was it affecting you in any way? Well, I think that God created our minds that we're able to actually tuck very traumatic events and, and times way back in some mm-hmm. hidden space in our brain. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of use the um, analogy of a lot of people who go and fight in wars. And they come back, and they might be well for a while, but if they've seen some of their comrades um, killed in front of them and seen some some very traumatic things, uh, I don't. You, you never know when it's going to happen. But eventually, that Pandora's box lid it, it it eventually opens up. Right. Thank you, thank you. I mean, just a very good point for many who may be listening right now to understand whether you are have been in that situation and maybe you know haven't addressed it or dealt with it effectively, or just from the outside to inform us. I'm sorry. Continue. Oh no, no. And so, so then fast forward a few months, and it was actually on the one year anniversary of my first abortion experience. It was then became December thirty first, nineteen. 98 and a young woman was in town that I knew before she was a Christian woman and we went out to celebrate the evening and count down you know the new year and one thing led to another and uh, a couple months later she um, wrote me a letter and said that I had gotten her pregnant that night and that she had gone and had an abortion because uh, she went to a Christian university and they kind of frowned upon unplanned pregnancies. So there I was. Um, I had lost my third child. And uh, just to back up a little bit, um, with the second and third woman, um, we never talked about it after that. And I don't know if I conceived a boy or a girl. I don't have names for those children. But if uh, my second child was alive right now, um, that child would be 28. And if this child was alive, they'd be 27. Oh, a few months later, I know, I know your listeners are going, are you, are you kidding me? He's, he's continuing. So a few months later, it was my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, and they asked me if I would officiate the renewing of their vows at their 50th wedding anniversary. Girlfriend number one came back into the picture and was there for that ceremony, and one thing led to another. And I got a phone call a couple of months later, and she said, Mark, you, you got me pregnant. And so we talked about it again, and I, you know, I, no, nobody wants to have an abortion experience. But I brought up adoption again, and this woman ended up taking care of it herself, went to an abortion clinic. I was not there with her. And uh, I received a letter from her years later, and she told me that she believed we conceived a boy. And she named our son Lennon James, uh, Lennon after John Lennon, because I'm a big Beatles fan. And James was my grandfather's first name. And we were there for their 50th wedding anniversary. And if Lennon was alive today, he'd be 27. So in a matter of 20 months, 
And I had four aborted children, and I kept that a secret for 18 years. Wow. Speechless. A lot of thoughts going through my head, but we have such short time. Keep sharing with us, Mark, the transformation and what went on to lead you from there to this present time. Well, I'm a Christian, and my life verse is Romans 8.28, and Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So it says all things work together for good. The abortions were horrendous. They were horrific. They weren't good. But with God, the Father of Jesus Christ, he can work all things together for good. But not for everyone, for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So after the four abortions, I, well, I, I, still, I still didn't come back to the Lord. I ended up dating a young woman. And for the first time, this woman had a three-year-old. She had a three-year-old little girl. And this woman, who is now my wife, Jeannie, we've been happily married now for nearly 25 years, but I started dating Jeannie. She had a three-year-old girl. Jeannie um, had an unplanned pregnancy. Um, Jeannie was raised in a Roman Catholic church, and when the uh, man uh, tried to talk her into an abortion, she said, certainly not. I will not have an abortion. And she had Ricky, is her name. And uh, when I started dating uh, Jeannie, we were in graduate school, going class together, and I finally rededicated my life to Christ. And, but I still didn't want children. I still didn't want children, and so I said to Jeannie, I would like to marry you and adopt Ricky as my own on the condition that we never have children, and I'm going to have a vasectomy. And so two months before we got married, I had a vasectomy, and uh, got married and adopted Ricky, and the years progressed in the 90s, and little by little, I found out what a joy and what a treasure and a pleasure it was to be a daddy. And mm-hmm. taking Ricky out for, for pancakes at the local diner and taking her out bowling and sled riding and dance recitals and things like that. And in the late 90s, uh, the Holy Spirit just started really um, speaking to my heart and said, Mark, what do you think? So I actually went back to the doctor who performed my vasectomy, and he did a reversal. And it didn't work. And I was freaking out. I was freaking out. I, I thought, oh, no, I squandered my opportunity to have children. And a part of me was thinking, this is God. He's paying me back. But that was just the enemy. That was just Satan. He's the father of lies. Right. I went to Cleveland Clinic for a second opinion and a second reversal, and it, it worked. And I was able to, you know, and um, I got my wife pregnant, Jeannie pregnant, just like a month after that. And three three months mark went by, and when I was on WCTL, we announced it live. I called up Jeannie live over the airwaves, just like we're doing right now. And she told everybody that um, we're going to have a baby. And about three days later, she had a miscarriage. And it was just a couple days before Mother's Day. And I, I was starting to have a meltdown because, remember, Jeannie does not know about my aborted mm-hmm. children. Nobody knew. The only ones that knew were the three young women, myself, and God. Nobody knew. Because mm-hmm. when you have an abortion, the number one feeling is shame. It's shame. You know, there's embarrassment, there's guilt, and then there's shame. And that's a really deep, dark place. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said, I'm so sorry, and... and uh, we were driving home that day, 
in the car right after the miscarriage and right after the, I think it's called a DNC procedure. Right. And out of the blue, the windshield wipers were going back and forth and back and forth. And Jeannie said, how could anyone ever do that? And I said, how could anyone ever do what? She goes, how could anyone ever have an abortion? Because that's basically what just happened to me. And I just felt like somebody hit me in the stomach. But God is good. God is a God of mercy and grace and joy and love. And my wife got pregnant a few months after that. And our daughter, Faith, got to name her Faith after all this. Right, wow. right, right. Now and just a beautiful young woman who loves the Lord. And then after that, uh, I was wrestling with the Holy Spirit. And, and really, God was saying, Mark, have you gone through everything you've gone through? Have you gone through four abortions, a vasectomy, two reversals, a miscarriage, and a baby girl? Is there room in your heart and home for one more? And I said, okay, God, I'm not going to try to have a child, but I'm not going to try to not have a child. And my wife got pregnant, and my son, Ross, who I named after my father, is 12 years old, and he's a straight-A student. He loves the Lord, and he's a, he's a super athlete. And I'm, I'm just so blessed. I'm just so very blessed. Mm. Mark, what a, a phenomenal um, snapshot. And obviously, um, so many questions that I have. Um, one, of course, is when your wife spoke to you about abortion and the experience she had wanting the life, but of course, having a similar procedure uh, in the miscarriage. I mean, what was percolating in your heart, wanting to, to live, if you will, the human intimacy that your body's expressed. There's a natural rate, a desire that you're totally above board and vulnerable and transparent with this woman you love. How did that play out? And, and kind of take us from that moment to what brought you to this current place and you calling me up and we us getting together and, and now really wanting to tell the story and be an agent of, of healing. Well, after the birth of my daughter, Faith, and my son, Ross, around that time, um, my specialty of counseling has always been teenagers. And so now the Pandora's box is opened up in the back of my mind. I've, I have my own children. It's flooding back of the horror and, and the terror that I have. I, I should have four other children, five including the miscarriage. And at the same time, I'm counseling teenagers. I'm looking at their intake sheets, and I'm, I'm looking at their birthdays and their birth years. And it dawns on me, my children would be about this age. My children would be about 15 or 16. So these teenagers that are walking into my office and I'm helping them out with my counseling experience, I would have four children out there. And all of a sudden, I, I mean, I'm having an emotional breakdown. I'm having panic attacks. I'm shutting my office door, locking it, putting the chair in front of it. I'm weeping. I'm shaking. I'm having insomnia. I think I was depressed. But all this time, I'm Mark Bradley Mara, the good guys in the morning. And so it just got to a point where I just couldn't take the dichotomy, the living two separate lives. And finally, one night I was counseling somebody in my office. I called up a dear friend of mine, Rob. I said, Rob, would you please come here at this time at 8 o'clock? He showed up, and I was shaking. I mean, I had never, 18 years. I held this secret in of four abortions, and I just let the floodgates open. It was like a tsunami of, wow. of just weeping and guilt and shame and everything. And when I was all done, he looked at me and he said, Mark, it's okay. It's okay. God, God loves you, and God forgives you, and he has forgiven you. And that's not who you are now. And that's the exact opposite mm -hmm. that Satan had 
had lied to me, had whispered into my ears for all those years, Mark, if you tell anybody, everybody in Erie is going to think you're the scum of the earth. You're going to get kicked off of the Christian radio station. Nobody's going to come to you for counseling. And the exact opposite happened. That he was very, he was just a great brother in Christ. And I told my pastor, and I told my wife, and some other people. And it really did, though. It took me. It took me several years uh, to get through it and to work through the healing process of post-abortion grief. Wow. Mark, if I could throw in a question here, how, two things, one, how did your wife react, and two, I'm sure there are listeners out there who um, are fathers of aborted babies who have either told their wives and they're not quite getting it or haven't a wife at this point. What, what do you want to say to them? Well, first of all, um, statistics indicate, research indicates that 42% of all women will have at least one abortion. 42%? I've got to believe that the same statistics would be true for men. So 42% of all men. Right, right. Probably, you know, know, so, um, but it's a very lonely place to be because for 44 years now with the whole, whole Roe v. Wade decision and the discussion, it's always about the mother, it's always about the, the woman right. and the baby. It should be. All these years, for decades, the man has been relegated to a dark corner and not even considered. So if there are post-abortive men out there right now listening to my voice, I would implore them, do not wait 18 years like I did to tell someone, tell a priest, tell a pastor, tell a dear friend, tell a Christian counselor, and, and start through the healing process. And Stephanie, getting back to your question as to how my wife reacted, it wasn't good. It was not good at all. I mean, I had basically lied to Jeannie by omission for, for 15 years or so. And she was very hurt. She was devastated because when I first started dating Jeannie, I think I made some sort of a snide comment like, well, how could you, how could you like get pregnant and be an unwed mother? And I said that portions of my past. So as soon as I told her that, and I kept, you know, I mean, I told her about the first abortion, and then it was like, bam, bam, bam. I mean, she was just, she like left the house and slammed the door and got in her car. And our marriage crumbled, and I wasn't sure if it was going to make it, but it took Jeannie and I a couple of years to really get some pastoral counseling and, and open and honest communication and it, it was very, very difficult. So if there's any man out there who's post-abortive and wants to tell his wife, I'd highly recommend he first speak to a priest mm-hmm. or a pastor or a licensed counselor and get it out first and, and then approach his wife in a, in a compassionate way because it's going to be difficult for her to hear that. So folks, you're tuned in to Ignite Radio Live if you're just tuning in and we're celebrating life and in particular the author of life, Jesus Christ, uh, God in Jesus Christ who revealed us life death and resurrection and there's a message of hope for any of us who have sinned who have fallen short in a particular way our guest right now given the beautiful powerful testimony uh father of eight children the first four abortive the number five with a beautiful wife he's married to adopted miscarriage number six and then baby faith and baby ross number seven and number eight and uh speaking to men in particular that a god wants to give you transformation that here is an occasion certainly 
seek that person of counsel that you can share this with and be guided by. In fact, I'll give you um, a live at MassImpact.us. My mom is a counselor and an expert in this area also. A live at MassImpact.us if you find yourself in such a situation. But uh, with the short time we have left, Mark, um, I just want to tell our listeners also to eagerly anticipate having you back sometime. And uh, you are a speaker. And uh, also with your book coming out, um, I'm, I'm blessed uh, that you entrust me in reading the manuscript. I look forward to reading that. There's so much more to this, folks, than this sketch you're getting. But, Mark, lead us in prayer right now, if you wouldn't mind, right now, uh, and whatever's on your heart, particularly for men who may be listening right now, or maybe even, you know, moms who feel abandoned by the dad of their child. However the Spirit leads you, lead us in prayer. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day and, and just a few short days after the the uh, commemoration of the 44-year anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Lord, if there are any men out there listening to this show right now or any women listening to the program who are post-abortive and they've never shared with anyone, give them the, the heart, give them the, the guts to get it out to somebody. Your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You are a holy God, a merciful God, and a loving God. And you can forgive anybody of anything. And if you can forgive me of my past and my four abortions in a period of 20 months, you can forgive anything that any of these listeners have done right now. And I just pray that they will take this to heart and you will give them a brand new opportunity and a brand new life through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen. And Lord, I'm just going to continue for a second. Ask for an abundance of your grace upon Mark and his wife and his family, that you surround them with your holy grace as they embark upon this ministry. We know the enemy does not want this message to get out there. We know that there are many men who are mired in the battle, uh, having not confessed it or dealt with it, that you want to heal, you want to speak to, through people like Mark And so we pray that your sustaining grace, your protection be around them, a hedge of protection around them, Lord, as they say yes to being instruments of your healing and your grace. In your name we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Hey, Mark, we love you. Please please pass along our love to your wife also. We look forward to uh, the next uh, episode of this connection. We know God has great things in store for you. And uh, just keep shining, brother. God bless you. Thank you, and have a good evening. Thank you so much, Mark. You also. Right, God bless. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. So, Steph, what, uh, what's running through your mind in having heard Mark's, um, Mark's uh, testimony? That our God is a faithful God and a merciful God and doesn't give up. And, you know, what, you know, I'm also, I have to say, as I was listening to him, I was trying to listen through the lens of maybe somebody who's a real faith-filled Christian. And, uh, you know, I wondered if there might even be sort of a sense of judgment, like, you did what? Or how could you call yourself a Christian? You know, I, I really kind of came into touch maybe with that sensibility of folks out there whose first response might be one of condemnation and judgment. Like, okay, I get the one fall, we're talking four abortions. But I think his message is particularly powerful because it says, there is no sin beyond the reach of God's transforming grace. I mean, right. folks that have maybe had one abortion or two, but here's a guy who's given testimony of his brokenness, and we really were blessed to hear on our couch, right, in our room upstairs, I was in particular, to hear him kind of really share his heart and his guts about it. I saw the tears. I saw him weep. I saw the heaviness right, that he carried. Right. You didn't get that on the radio um, tonight, but I just want our listeners to know that heaviness that uh, God has brought him through. You're hearing a strength, brothers and sisters, that can only be accomplished through God in Jesus Christ. 
So we're very blessed right now to shift to our second very special guest um, with us tonight. How are you doing, Clarissa? I'm doing good. How are you? Very good. And my wife, Stephanie, is uh, reporting live uh, by, by phone also. Hi, Stephanie. <laughs> Hello, Carissa. Hey, I saw on Facebook that you were at Central today. Is that correct, Central Catholic? I was. I got to speak to, to the entire school, including the faculty there today. How did that go? That is awesome. Praise God. And here you are tonight. Yeah. No rest for the weary. No. Amen. (laughs) Yeah, give us a snapshot. What was that like, Clarissa? We'll back up into your story in a moment, but just uh, what was your experience speaking to the generation of survivors? It was great. You know, I think it was really well received. And, um, you know, the kids are interested. And I always say this, you know, abortion is a heavy topic. And yet the kids are interested and they want to know and they want to hear and they have questions, you know, they want to know how do women do this and what makes them make this choice. And they've never heard many of them, the impacts that abortion has on us. And so I think it's, it's really well received by the majority of them. And um, I had many students come up to me afterwards and, um, you know, ask, ask questions or give me a hug and just say, thank you so much, you know, for being here and sharing. So it's always a beautiful thing for me, um, having teenage kids myself, you know, to go and witness to them because they're really at the age that I was when I had my abortion. So um, I, I, I'm not that much older, and I think they can kind of relate to my story a little bit, and it, mm-hmm. it helps them make a little bit more sense of it. Wonderful. So we're going to have you back up in just a moment and share your story. But just for our listeners, we know that you're, you're working with uh, Project Rachel and folks. You can find out more about this at the wonderful name HopeAfterAbortion.com, HopeAfterAbortion.com. And uh, Clarissa works with uh, the wonderful Peter Range in the Catholic Diocese of Toledo mm-hmm. and heading up this Project Rachel. So um, married kids, just give us a family portrait here. Yes. So I have five living children. Uh, my oldest child is 20. He's a freshman at UT, all the way down to two. And um, my husband and I will be celebrating our 20-year anniversary this coming September. Wow, congratulations. So I'm very blessed. Hey. Wow, beautiful. Brings smiles to my face. So, Clarissa, I'm, I'm blessed in the sense that I haven't heard the story, and I'm looking forward to you sharing with the time that we have. So I'm just going to let you go. Share with us um, the okay. story that brought you to this point. Okay. Well, you know, I like to say now to people um, that I kind of was already living in that culture of death prior to making um, my abortion decision. And I feel like when you're living in that culture, um, you kind of ride your bike, so to speak, right into an abortion choice. It seems like um, it's, it's becomes a little bit easier. But, you know, as a young kid growing up in a family where I witnessed abuse, with my parents and then went through um, all that divorce is about. Um, I, during my middle school and teenage years, I gravitated towards my friends and um, gravitated towards boys. I gravitated towards um, drinking and experimenting with um, recreational drugs. And, and you know, those things became um, my escape, I think, from adult things that I couldn't deal with. And so I was dating a boy um, at the age of 16 that uh, was quite a bit older than me. He was five years older than me, and this was not 
um, something that my parents knew, um, nor would I have told them the truth about that. And mm-hmm. seven months into our relationship, our relationship became a sexual relationship. And not long after that, I discovered that I was pregnant. Um, I found out that I was pregnant the day of my 16th birthday. Uh, I did go to a local mm-hmm. pregnancy center and had a pregnancy test done to confirm my pregnancy. And the woman that was there asked me if I was going to keep my baby and if I had support, to which I answered yes to both of those questions, knowing that I was lying, that I was already abortion-minded walking Mm -hmm. in there. And, you know, the reason I was abortion-minded was because I grew up Catholic. I knew that sex outside of marriage was a no-no, and I had been in quite a lot of trouble. I was a troubled kid, you know. I had been involved in things, and I thought, in my mind, that if my parents discovered um, that I had been being sexually active, I wasn't even thinking about the child, Mm -hmm. but that this would be really the last straw, that, you know, I was sexually active, now I was pregnant, and that I would be thrown out of the house. Now, that's what my small mind was telling me. That's what the enemy was um, feeding to me. Um, I don't believe that to be true. Now I know that that really wasn't what would have, have happened, but that's what I felt, and that was my first fear. And so <clears throat> I went to my friends. Those were my what I thought to be my biggest supporters, and they, they ended up not caring much at all. And they kind of gave me the response mm-hmm. of, sucks to be you kind of thing. And so I realized really mm-hmm. quickly that my friends weren't, the people that I could count on. And so next stop was my boyfriend, and I shared the news with him, and he asked me, was it his? And, you know, here I was, newly 16, with a boy much older than I was, and that to me meant that he didn't want this baby either. And so I didn't have what I felt like to be support. I didn't feel that I could go to my parents. And here he was, not really wanting to Mm -hmm. claim the child as his. And so I decided that I would have an abortion. Now, I was afraid of abortion, too. As afraid I was of telling my parents about a pregnancy, I was scared of abortion and what abortion was and what abortion would do to me. Um, Again, not thinking about my child. I didn't think of it or relate to it as my unborn child. And so um, I made this wise decision that I would try to force myself to miscarry. And I did that by um, drinking a lot and using heavy drugs. Mm -hmm. And a couple of more months went by, and I did not have a miscarriage. And now I was even further convinced that I needed to have this abortion because my child would not be a healthy one. And so um, I did go in for that abortion. My boyfriend did show up with me, though he wasn't with me for any of the prior appointments. I was 16 years old. I had to stand in front of a judge and explain to him why I wanted this abortion. on minutes to my parents, and he gave me a court order that allowed me to do that. And my reason to him was that I would be thrown on in the street, and he made me promise that if he gave me this um, court order that I would not be in this situation again, and I swore that I never would be. And so um, the day that the abortion procedure took place, my boyfriend was with me for that. And... um, I was, um, the procedure started by dilating my cervix, and they sent me upstairs to wait for the duration of that, the day, until I was ready, and I ended up in quite a lot of pain, so much so that my boyfriend was pretty terrified, watching me curled up in the fetal position in pain and crying, and so the clinic discovered that they had not given me any pain medication and decided to whisk me in next, and 
you know, I tell people when I share this story that <clears throat> just because somebody has, you know, a white lab coat on or, you know, scrubs doesn't make them a doctor or a nurse. And I had never met these people before. And I don't know about you, but, you know, if my children have something going on, any kind of surgery, you know, we've met the doctor multiple times and questions have been asked and we know each other. I didn't know right. this man. I never spoke to him before this. I never saw him. And, and, and even that day going in for the procedure, he never shook my hand, never said hello. He just sat where he was supposed to sit. And the one thing I remember about that procedure, and I'm really thankful that <clears throat> there's a lot that I don't remember, which is common for a lot of women, is, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> is there was a young woman that was in the room with me, and her role was to hold my hand. And I've never forgotten her, and I pray for her to this day. But her role mm -hmm. was to hold my hand, and I wondered how many hands had she held already that morning and would wow. hold the rest of the day. And so I was advised to just hold her hand and look at her as this procedure took place, and that's what I did. And I've never really forgotten the look in her eyes because it really was her looking at me. It was almost a reflection of my own eyes, a reflection of fear, a reflection of pain, a reflection of mm -hmm. horror, really. Um, on what was going on. So when the procedure was finished, I was sent to a waiting room where <clears throat> other women were. I was checked. I was good to go. I left and went home um, where I was supposed to be at school all day. I was a junior in high school, and, and in order to have this procedure done, I, was, um, I had skipped school. So I came home. Uh, my parents thought I was at school, and I showered up and I went to work. And here I was, you know, between four and five months along having this abortion done, and I wasn't really doing well. Um, and so they sent me home from work. And as the, as the weeks and the months went by, I began to feel relief, which is also very common for women. You know, the fear, all those fears I had were now going away, and I, my hormones were going back to normal, and I was starting to feel better again. And I believed that I did the right thing, and I boasted about that to friends of mine at the time. And not long after that, um, still with the same boyfriend, I became pregnant a second time. You know, I had already said I wouldn't be in this position again, and here I was again, because abortion, of course, is not the solution to anything, most especially an unchaste lifestyle. In fact, I think it makes things much worse. And so here I was pregnant a second time, and my boyfriend decided that he didn't want to go through with abortion this time, and I was relieved. But the problem was I had to now face this fear of telling my parents that I was the re was one of the main reasons I didn't I wanted the abortion in the first place the first time. But I ended up not having to do that because a couple months into my pregnancy, my mother actually came to me and asked me if I was pregnant, and I said that I was. And so she took me to my first doctor's appointment, and I not only saw my baby on ultrasound for the first time, but I also found out at that appointment that I had two STDs. And so it really wasn't a happy day. What was the term was you used? I'm sorry for interrupting. You had two... Two STDs, two sexually transmitted Oh, STDs. Okay, I'm sorry. Thank you. ...that I found out at that appointment. So, you know, it wasn't a happy day, you know. And, and I have five living children, and I've had ultrasounds before and, and, you know, experienced the joy. But this wasn't a happy day for me. Here I was, now 18. I was going to have a baby. The STDs, okay, could be taken care of, but... Um, I sure wasn't with anybody else, and so, of course, my boyfriend had been mm. with others and had shared these things with me, which was, e which was even mm. more of a blow to me, um, finding out all of that. And so <clears throat> it was really during that pregnancy that my abortion um, 
I thought about it again because I started to go to doctor's appointments and see pictures of um, fetal development and all of the different phases. But being at home, being pregnant, knowing, I, you know, I, I was having a baby soon, I didn't feel that it was anything that I, there was anything I could do about it. I couldn't grieve. I couldn't cry. I was too afraid that my parents would find out. And so time went on, and the boyfriend and I got married when our son was 11 months old. And we went on to have a couple more children pretty quickly after we got married. <clears throat> and the relationship was not great. But I will say during that time, I reconciled my life with God. You know, I'd gone to confession. I had confessed my abortion, and I had come back to church and began to live out my Catholic faith again. And, <clears throat> you know, I would go to even daily Mass and read my Bible every day and pray my rosary. And, uh, um, but things were not great between the two of us. You know, here he was bringing his baggage from his family in, mine for mine, and then the two of us had the abortion wound together. And, of course, if a wound is left unattended, it becomes ultimately becomes infected. And so that was going on unbeknownst to the two of us. But I had this relationship with God, and I was desperately trying to live my life as a good Christian mother and wife, but I was failing, and um, the relationship was difficult for a lot of reasons when you're young. We were, you know, walking in with all of this, this woundedness. We were financially strapped, you know. We were broke, and, um, and we weren't getting along very well, and I was very unhappy. So I made the decision that I would get a job, and that would make me happy that I would be out of the home and um, the stay-at-home mom thing wasn't for me. And that's what I did. I got a job and I made friends. And pretty quickly, um, I started to go out with those friends. And I started to go back to the lifestyle that I had prior to our marriage. And <clears throat> I started going out, you know, Friday evenings, dinner and drinks became Friday till 2 a.m. till the, you know, wherever we could go when the bar closed to, you know, Friday, every Friday, and then every Friday and Saturday. And so you can imagine that my husband became very angry about this, and so he became very abusive towards me. And so this further kept me away from the house. And so mm -hmm. I sometimes wouldn't come home at all. And this went on for some time. I had made the decision to leave him and um, actually had picked out my, um, the colors on the wall of my new apartment with the deposit down, and he had no idea this was happening. And I came home from work one day, and actually I was on my way to work, excuse me, I was on my way to work, and I had missed my period again and expected that I might be pregnant. So I stopped by a little store, picked up a pregnancy test, and took that at work, and indeed I was pregnant again. And I remember thinking to myself, it doesn't matter. I can still leave him. I'm going to be okay. I can do this. I don't need him. Um, I'm going to be okay, you know. But I came home that day from work, and all of the lights, it was, it was dark in my home. It was evening, but it was dark, and I... I was not a nice person at that time. You know, I was kind of the type of person, like, don't try to love me. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I came in, and I was walking through the home, flipping the lights on, and I walked in the kitchen, flipped the lights on, and out jumped my, my husband and my free little children at that time. And they said, surprise. And I, instead of, of course, like any good mother would do, would be to say, oh, wow, thank you so much. Look what you made for me. I said, what is this? It's not my birthday. And he said to me, we know, but we just wanted to show you and we wanted to tell you how much we love you and what a good mother we think you are. Wow. And here mm. I was just about 10 years into this marriage, getting ready to leave him without him knowing. And I don't recall ever hearing him say those words to me before. I don't recall. I mean, 
of all the things he had called me and all of the things he had said, surely never did he say that I was a good mother. And I don't even remember him ever really telling me that he loved me. And at that moment, God spoke to my heart and he told me that he was the one. You know, I had doubted. I had thought, you know, we were young. We came in with baggage. I can get the divorce, get the annulment. I had people who even said, you know, even in my family who said, Clarissa, you don't have to stay. But God spoke to my heart and he said, no, he's the one. And I remember thinking, it can't be. (laughs) But, you know, I went from the girl who didn't obey anybody to really being obedient to that and making the decision to stay based on the condition that we would get counseling, um, my husband would get some help, and we did that. And it was during that pregnancy that we really got to know each other for the first time. And you would think five years of dating, almost 10 years of marriage, we knew each other, but we didn't. And so we were getting to know each other for the first time, and we were enjoying this pregnancy together. And we really grew close during that time. And we had our fourth child, and it was shortly after he was born that I started to have some really bad feelings again. And I remembered these feelings because I'd had them many times before, these feelings of loneliness and unhappiness and unrest. And I knew that if God didn't reveal to me what was wrong with me, that I would go back to that lifestyle again and I would lose my family and possibly my life. And so Mm -hmm. I had a moment sitting in my living room where I cried out to God and I just asked him to show me what was wrong. And again, he spoke to my heart and said, it's your abortion. And somewhere, I think, deep inside, I knew that somehow. Mm. Um, And so when he spoke that to me, I understood it because it's like I had known it innately somehow. And so I asked him what I should do, and he said, go to my mother. Mm. And so I imagined Mary. I tried. I closed my eyes, and I tried to imagine her. And... In a moment, I was with her, and she sort of enveloped me. You know, I always say, you know, when we when we wrap our arms around someone and we hug them and we lock our fingers together, you know, you can kind of feel that. You feel their arms, and you can tell where their hands meet. But this was different. This was not a hug. This was more of being almost inside of Mary, you know, and wrapped up in her mantle where there was no beginning and no end. And for the first time in many, many years, from a small child you know, witnessing the abuse that my father had towards my mother all the way through all of the terrible things I had experienced in my own life, I felt peace for the first time. Mm. And I laid my head against her chest and I just sobbed. And, you know, I never looked at her and I never spoke to her, but I spoke to her son and I said, Jesus, I'm so sorry. And, you know, I've always loved you and I've always tried to do the best that I could do, but I just haven't known how. I'm, I'm just, I'm broken. And he said to me, I know. And I've always known that. And so <clears throat> I kind of came out of that experience, and I felt inspired to pick up my Bible. And I picked up my Bible, and, and there in front of me was the passage where Jesus asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Mm-hmm. And I read that scripture passage, and I and, and, you know, I, I, tell the, I was telling the kids today, you know, I always laugh because why does Jesus ask questions? You know, Jesus knows everything. And Peter's even annoyed slightly, and he says to Jesus, you know, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And, of course, Jesus is saying to him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. But, you know, the third time he tells Peter that no longer will Peter live his life the way he had been living it for himself, but he will now live it for him. 
even unto death, and then, of course, goes on to signify the way that Peter will die. And I understood at that moment that that's exactly what Christ was asking me to do, was to now live for him. And so, I, again, I had a miraculous experience within my soul that I, I say, you know, if we could imagine as a baby, if we could feel baptism, that's what I felt at that moment. I felt cleansed. Mm-hmm. I felt reborn as his daughter. And, that, and, and, and he spoke to my heart and said, no longer do your earthly parents uh, bring you your value or identity, nor do your sins, nor do your accomplishments, but your identity belongs as my daughter, as my child, and you can begin again. And so I was excited. I had this fresh, clean slate, and I wanted to know what to do. And I asked him, what, what should I do? <clears throat> Excuse me. And he said, you need your healing first. You need to be healed. Because always God is after us first. I, I know a lot of post-abortive people who jump into pro-life ministry before they've had any healing, and it's a very natural thing to do. But God so loves us individually that he wants our own healing. And so I call Project Rachel. You know, as a Catholic growing up as a kid, I, I think I probably saw it in bulletins. I heard the name for sure. And there it was when I needed it. And I called and I was hooked up with a, a woman who was also post-abortive, and she walked me through a post-abortion Bible study. And really quickly after that, um, you know, I had committed to God that I would now share, you know, my own witness. He, he called me to do that. He wanted me to help other women, and the main way he wanted me to do that was to share my witness. And I got a call really quickly after that um, to go and speak. And, and the first time I ever gave my witness, it was really terrible. Um you I know, doubt that. But witness. What's that? I was going to say, I doubt that. You are so eloquent, so full of fire. But anyways, it keep was, going. It was just, um, it was terrible because it was terrible but necessary. It was the very beginning of my healing journey, and there were a lot of things that I said in that testimony that probably didn't need to be said, but it was a part of my process. Now when I share my testimony, I can very much keep it mostly about myself. And so... <laughs> I gave that testimony, and there was a woman, and you'll know here why I'm sharing this. There was a woman who approached me afterwards, and she asked me if I had named my daughter Rachel. And I had been, I was really angry about that. And um, the woman who had took me through the post-abortion Bible study had revealed to me during that six-month period that she had seen her aborted son. And often I, I envied that, and I had prayed for a similar experience or at the very least, to know if my child was a boy or a girl, and that's very difficult, too. And so when she said this to me, it kind of triggered something, triggered a little bit of anger in me, and I politely said, no, and she persisted. I, I, I just, I, I know I heard you say that. And, you know, again, politely, I said no. And a little while, I didn't think much of it when I left, and a little while went by, and I got my next speaking engagement, and again, a young woman approached me, and she said, you're going to think I'm a little strange, but... I have a certain gift where I can send spirits around people. And when you were sharing your testimony, I was really struggling to concentrate because God was so clearly telling me to tell you that the spirit of Rachel was with you. And again, I didn't really make the connection even still until a third time when I met with my spiritual director. I have a woman who's guided me spiritually now for many years. And I showed up to meet with her, and she said, I have something for you. And she slid across the table a prayer booklet, and as I looked at it, the front said, A Rachel's Rosary, 
a rosary prayed for victims of post-abortion syndrome. And it was at that moment Mm -hmm. that I understood that, indeed, my aborted child was a girl and that her name was Rachel. And, you know, one of the things we do in Project Rachel Mm -hmm. is we walk women through a one-day retreat, and they have the opportunity at that retreat, if they want to, if they desire to, if they feel called to, name their children. And, you know, I never had that opportunity. I hadn't gone through a retreat. I hadn't done that. I had been praying about this. And God, in his humor, showed me, because I know he, you know, I would say he, he's funny because he, he knows I would have said, oh, no, maybe, maybe I should have named her Cindy or Julie or Sarah. <laughs> so he very clearly said, no, it's Rachel. And never, never back then did I ever imagine that I would then eventually be able to serve in a ministry with the title Project Rachel. Beautiful. And, you know, when I go and speak places, and I get it, Project Rachel, so people can get confused, oftentimes people call me Rachel. Wow. Claire, so I'm going to have to cut you short. We're, we're, we're coming in for a landing very quickly here, and I look okay. forward to continued. Uh, first of all, I am awe-inspired by God's transforming grace, so evidenced through you. I, I praise God for his testimony um, of what he's done in your life and your husband and looking at a picture of your family, which I've been looking at here and so moved at the joy mm-hmm. in your eyes and the witness that you give. And just for any of our listeners out there, I just want to echo uh, that, that you know God is a healing, loving God. And, and uh, brothers and sisters, if you're dealing with this directly or indirectly, um, please uh, avail yourself to this great resource we have. Clarissa, where can people get a hold of you? So they can call the one, um, we have a 1-888-456-HOPE. That, um, that number they can call and they can reach me directly. I answer that phone. They can also, as you mentioned, go to hopeafterabortion.org or they can email projectrachel at toledodiocese.org. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we love you. You fashioned us for yourself. Pour forth your healing power in this day and in this age. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.